Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic gets a match win under his belt, first on clay of the season, improves to three and two in 2022. And this one comes in a third set tiebreak against Laszlo Gera after dropping the first set six games to two. So, uh, it was a, a very busy morning in tennis because right, I think maybe during the first set or right before Novak took the court, uh, incredible, incredibly surprising news, although it was rumored for a month, uh, broke that Wimbledon would be banning Russian and Belarusian players in 2022, unless something, and I quote, drastically changes and then they'll reconsider. And we're going to get to that after uh, after we talk about Novak in his first round match, really significant news in tennis um, right there. But Amy, what were your takeaways from this win? Djokovic scraping by and what, what a match. I mean, it was an epic against Jera. I think a lot of people are going to say that Jera choked with a couple of misses at the very, very closing argument of the match. But how often have we said this before, that a player battled valiantly, and I was so impressed with this opponent, but in the end, one of our big three triumphed. I think that just by virtue of, of the greatness and the fight, that it's really, really an added layer or a, another barrier that you have to break through in order to beat one of our big three. So the reputation kind of precedes them. And it, it really wasn't surprising to me that he did miss a couple of forehands when he was up a mini break in that last set tie break. Um, but uh, Novak for, for his play, um, he battled amazingly hard. He's, he's back in terms of his fight, maybe not in terms of his form, but he's certainly back in terms of his fight. And I know that the fans are going to be happy to see that. It was quite a match. It was quite a lot of good rallies. It was really fun to watch. I enjoyed watching it and a lot of good tennis and movement. Um, I think for Novak, it's nice to get wins. And yet it's interesting, this gets to one of our surface questions. Clay is so demanding. So on the other hand, wow, got through that, getting the bounce, getting it going. So is that spermer confidence, but in a way, it means you need to play another clay court match tomorrow. You don't get to play tomorrow's match on a fast hard court where your confidence can bolt yet more. So again, I don't know what, it's, it's still, it's, it's day to day. It's not like this is, this is the one that turns Novak's 2022. I mean, it's still such a toothpick by toothpick surface. Yes. Uh, and on the conditions and how physical they were, I mean, the rallies were long, the court was playing super slow. And part of the reason for that, I could see the breath. I can't remember when is the last time you watch a tennis match. And I felt like I was watching, uh, you know, football in the middle of, of the winter. I could see the breath coming from 
Jera and Djokovic's mouth. And that's going to slow things down immensely. So it was very difficult for either player to really finish points. And you know what? At this point, point especially, Jera's actually got more weight of shot on his forehand. He's got more muscle than Djokovic. And it's one of the best parts of Jera's game is he can absolutely crush the ball on his forehand side. And I thought that was a big reason why this was so difficult for Novak. He can crush the ball on his forehand side and the backhand also was looking really good, especially in the first and and parts of the second set. I did think down the stretch, though, that forehand of Jarrah's bled some errors a little bit. It certainly does that. That's where Novak. Yeah, that's where Novak gained some ground. But um, just in terms of Novak and, and his serve, like you pointed out, Gil, the conditions aren't really indicative of what his serve might be going forward. I noticed that he he put a low number, I think it was something like 56% of his first serve in. That's not Novak-like. He needs to up that up to more like 64, 65%. But I think that will come. And um, I thought he did a good job of returning Jarrah's first serve well, because on clay, the first serve points come into play a little bit more than they do on hard court. On hard court, the battle is really fought on on second serve points, but on clay, it, it can really be fought more on first serve points. And I thought that Novak, particularly down the stretch, returned Jarrah's first serve quite well. I agree with that. I thought the the serve and the defense and mainly the fitness, right? Because let's just go back to what we were talking about a week ago. Had nothing in the tank against Davidovich Fakina in the third set. Could not even really compete in that third set because his body was spent. It was empty. And he plays over three matches, uh, sorry, three sets uh, a week later. And look, there was plenty off about his game, Amy. You mentioned the serve. Uh, you know, the, even the ground strokes, the balance, the touch on a lot of the drop shots, a lot of things weren't right for Djokovic. But one thing you must say is that the conditioning is improved immensely from even last week. And I think all of us expected that to happen. I was worried. Remember I texted you guys and I was like, is he sick? Like, um, he's Gorny Venisevic said something like he was battling something and I was like texting you guys pictures of him like I'm worried about his health clearly after this match I think I can put those worries to rest is that the kind of match he needs Joel like what do you make of the fact that he goes three hours here and plays really under pressure for two of those hours in this kind of razor tight match uh is that gonna you know, you say, yes, this is not like a one-time turning point, but isn't this, do you think that this is what he needed or is it not good that it's not comfortable? I think that's not, look, matches are great to play, whatever. It's nice to win one, two and two, but in a way he got a real deep understanding of where he's at with his tennis and had to work and to come out with that winning is really good. His next round, we'll see even more. I think that's good. Very tested right till the very end lots of pressure, a pair of tiebreakers. I mean, that's a pretty thorough thing. And that's a maybe more uh, indicative or revealing than if he just rolled someone two and two. And who knows if the person might have been intimidated from the start by playing the great Novak. And now it's a different kettle of fish. 
I think it's kind of what he wants. Now he wants to win and he could have lost that match and and that wouldn't have been good. Uh, however, I think since he won it, the fact that it was as difficult as it was and, you know, his body, he was able to put his body through that experience and his mind through that experience. Uh, I think that'll help him going forward. And that's, those are the kinds of matches that are going to make him fit for the next time. I was super impressed with Jera. I want to say also with uh, the mentality and he surprised me and impressed me. I wasn't expecting this as uh, if we can reference our group text again, I, uh, I was kind of thinking there might be a bit of an inferiority complex for Laszlo Jera because Novak is his idol, is his Davis cup captain, a man who has kind of carried him to some of the great triumphs of his career in Davis cup as well. But Jera was, kind of out for blood in this match. Like you got to hand it to Laszlo for, for fighting and not standing down or being intimidated at all. Yeah. Not playing the resume and playing the ball and just kind of going out doing his tennis and, and not thinking about that. He's playing Novak thinking that he's playing the ball and where it's going and the points and staying in it pretty much start to finish. What do you and think he, of he was calm too? like uh, I, I the crowd wasn't particularly rooting for him and which is unusual to play in your your home country. And I kept the, the cameras kept cutting to Novak's brother, the tournament, you know, director. And I, I thought, gosh, this has got to be so hard for Jera. But then again, you know, expectations were low for him. So in, in some ways, maybe it was freeing, but, you know, like, like we said, we, he played well, he held it together until the very end when he missed particularly that, that easy forehand close to the net. Yeah. I think that was at four three Novak anticipated the wrong direction. He would have been nowhere near the ball mm -hmm. if, if mm -hmm. Jera just uh, made it and he clipped the tape. Uh, let's go to uh, Ketsmanovic, another Serbian. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply who's been awesome this year after finishing with a, a losing record. I, I think having like a 33% win rate in 2021 pretty much fell off the map. He's back this year. He's been very good week after week after week. Amy, what are your thoughts on uh, Misha's game? This is one of the most impressive pl young players on tour right now. And he's on the rise so it's really interesting. It's exciting for the country of Serbia to watch this guy. Um, he's got speed. He's got legs for days. He's got power. Um, I, I'm interested who would be, I don't often look at the odds, but I'm interested who would be in the favorite, who would be the favorite in that match. I, if I had to guess, I would say it might be Ketsmanovic. 
Is that right? I don't think so. Now, let, let me, oh, I'm going to okay. look right now. Okay. I'm going to look right now. I don't think so. But I'm also interested. I had the same thought, Amy, that uh, this is a very interesting one to to set a, a line for. There's no well, doubt I don't. I don't ever bet against Novak. I don't bet against Rafa and I don't bet against Novak. Um, I don't bet, though, as, as oh, if they bet. play each other, I really don't bet. Um, but I, I wouldn't I would never bet against Novak, particularly in his own home country. That being said, this is going to be by far his toughest match of the year, you know, and at least going into it, I think. I'm seeing a line for every round of 16 match, I think, for Belgrade, except for this one. So maybe like maybe they're up, you know, with papers everywhere, like <laughs> in the offices and they're all yelling and they don't know what to do uh, and, and what to make this line. Joel, are you a fan of uh Misha Kachmanovic's yeah, game. excellent player. I mean, very interesting to see, right? Young and and uh, impressive. I mean, these guys, these guys are not. I mean, all the, again, I think a big legacy of the three is the transcendence of what we mean: defense, offense, ball striking, ground strokes. I mean, it's such a, you just see this whole upgrading that they've helped trigger making players. I mean, like I said in a recent show, it looks like someone who Thomas Beardick, who's a great player, tremendous respect for him. It looks like he played. He did play another generation, another time ago. And now we're seeing a whole different sense of a racket head speed and drive and top spin and everything. It's very impressive. Yeah, I just take- went to one of the major betting sites and it says, and it said, get the odds for this match. And it said page not found. When you click on it, it's, it's like 404 page not found. So I don't know, man, maybe it's even odds. I, again, I'm. I would, I would strongly think Novak will be favored in the betting market. However, uh, Ketsmanovic has, you know, has shown much more in 2022, and it, it's not particularly close. And he had that incredible match with Carlos Alcaraz. It's a top five match of the year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he takes the ball very early. He he changes direction super well. He can hurt you off of either wing, which is a key against Novak. He's so good at finding whatever he needs to find. If, if you have a hole in your baseline game, Katsmanovic doesn't particularly have that. And then the big difference for him, similar to what, what Novak has done in, in his career, is he's uh, gone from someone whose serve was a weakness to someone whose serve is perfectly suitable on the ATP Tour. So that, uh, that should be a good one. Let us move on now to uh, to the announcement from the All England Club. And a perfect bridge for this is to uh, first let it be known that Novak Djokovic has weighed in on this. He does not support the decision. He said that as a child of war, I know what kind of emotional trauma a war leaves. Us in Serbia, we know what was happening here in 1999. Ordinary people always suffer. We've had a lot of wars in the Balkans. That being said, I cannot support the Wimbledon decision. Decision. It's not the athlete's fault. When politics interfere with sports, it usually doesn't turn out well. Uh, Joel, I'll go to you first. Where do you stand on the decision that, that Wimbledon made here? I think Novak said it brilliantly. I thought that was just spot on. And I think it's, it's unfortunate. It's kind of intriguing to me that a, um, a British sports minister who, who drove this would... Um, side to take that to you know make decisions on the destiny of players and it kind of strikes to a lot of the core of 
of sports and tennis. I mean, I get it. Team sports, team events. I understand. Let's not have them in Davis Cup or Billie Jean King Cup. But uh, I just don't. Uh, I just don't see what the whole, even some of the logic of it is. Amy, I think it's unfair. It's unfair to the players, but in the scope of unfairness, what's happening in Ukraine is so much gravely, deeply more unfair than this. Um, You know, I, I, I tweeted and I wrote about this earlier today that Ted Williams was um, called away from baseball in the height of his baseball career. And, and I know a lot of our listeners don't follow American baseball, but he's really one of the greatest to ever play the sport. And in the height of his career, he had to enlist in the American military. Um, he didn't, you know, wasn't too happy about it. He, he tried to delay it for a time, but ultimately he, he did embrace it and he did it. And it kept him away from the game for really, in essence, five years um, when he could have racked up so many other records and, and maybe even gone down as the greatest to ever play the game. Right now, that honor kind of goes to Babe Ruth. But, um, you know, again, it, it's war. And it's unfair. It's it's really unfair. But but war is is just terrible. And um, tennis will survive. And Medvedev and and Rublev and Sabalenka, that Azarenka, you know, they're millionaires. Um, they don't even have to go to Russia right now. They don't live in Russia or or Belarus. Um, so this isn't going to have a huge, huge impact on their lives. So I guess I I would say that while I think it's unfair, I understand the desire to sanction because if you can do something to ding this Putin in some way, then it's definitely worth considering. I guess my concern is, my question is how, how much does it ding? And then what's the precedent it sets for future for future um, actions with other countries that do other things that others might not agree of. I mean, and, and this has been brought up by things about if a country, if another country goes to war or uh, other countries commit human rights violations or any other things, how do their, how should their tennis players be treated? And do the tennis players become co- collateral damage for a bigger statement? I mean, everybody would agree, of course, that what's going on in Ukraine is far, far more damaging than someone not being able to play Wimbledon. But I don't know. What do you? Th- what are your thoughts on this, Gil? I um, I think this feels avoidable. Uh, I think that there there are some hardships and inconveniences, or perhaps sacrifices that that are going to be made whenever there is war. Uh, there is going to be some civilian collateral effect. Uh, ordinary Russian citizens who are not part of the state are not part of the military, etc. However, I think it, it's in everyone's best interest to try to minimize those effects. So, you know, for me, and I understand, uh, Joel, you kind of point out that slippery slope argument that I think a lot of people have. For me, it's even easier to look at a uh, cost-benefit analysis, and I'm not seeing a lot of benefit, real benefit, other than messaging, other than symbolism for not allowing Daniil Medvedev 
and Andre Rublev and Arena Sabalenka and Victoria Azarenka to play Wimbledon. Uh, I don't really think that's going to help the war effort. And if it did, I would say, look, that's terrible for them, but this is bigger than that. It's the fact that I don't see how it helps. That's why I can't wrap my head around this being uh, a decision that I could get behind. I don't know if, well, first of all, I don't like cost benefit analysis, all due respect, because I think that that is an economic argument and that kind of dehumanizes. And right now, what we have going on in Ukraine is something that almost the entire world agrees is a peaceful country being invaded. Um, I think something on the, the order of three to five million um, people have been displaced from Ukraine. And um, I, I just don't want to, you know, children, there was a hospital that was bombed, a children's hospital that was bombed, children have died, there's rape. I, and I, I don't, I don't like just reducing it to like, an economic argument, I guess, all due respect, all due respect. I, 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 I'm a mother and I, I bristle at that kind of thing. Th th um, that's fine. But, I, I but would... in terms of the what good will it do? Um, we don't know. I mean, you guys, especially you, Joel, you don't like to predict. So why would you try to predict this? And I do think that sports matter to Putin. Otherwise, he wouldn't have waited until just after the Olympics to invade. And um, you know, he's a guy that parades around with his shirt off on a horse. I do think that these very base sort of um, prowess things do matter to him. What effect will this be? Will it be a quid pro quo? No, of course not. And we may never know the answer to it. But I, again, I don't necessarily su support what Wimbledon has done, but I guess I, I'm saying that um, if I were in their shoes and I were a member of that, you know, committee, it would definitely be something to consider, like, how can I contribute to possibly um, getting Putin to, to stand down or bringing about an end to this? Well, I see there are many reasons. Yeah, I, I see many reasons why it's a thought, a step to be taken. I mean, there are a lot of, you could see a lot of reasons for it. You could see the role sports plays and and what sports means to Russia in particular and how athletes are sometimes used as propaganda tools. So here's a chance to kind of take them off the stage so they don't have like a, a Russian winning Wimbledon and all this complication. But I guess I feel really bad for the way the, as the individual athletes, and you saw the statements from the ATP and the WTA who are both uh, upset, calling it unfair. I'll be curious to see what action steps they might consider taking. I mean, what as some uh, to whether to stand by some of their players who've been banned from playing Wimbledon, what steps might they take um, and how will that work? Because they these places, they did begin as players associations, not exactly unions, but they did begin as a voice of the players. That's the whole root of the ATP and the WTA is each is a, a voice for the players. And then I don't know what the, the PTPA, where it what its role in the game is. And, and, it, and wasn't it interesting, you guys, that the statements were almost identical. So clearly they coordinated because they start off, you know, saying, of course, we, we support Ukraine. And then it goes into, uses the same language discrimination was used. 
So um, clearly they were in sync on this. And this is something that we've, you know, a lot of people have been crying out for, for the, the two tours, the men's and women's tours to coordinate more closely. So this was clearly an example of that. The WTA and WTA are in charge of the rankings. It is because of them and it, it is, you know, written out under agreements that are, are agreed upon that Wimbledon's tournament is going to count in that in those rankings that Wimbledon does not own or have anything to do with. It is a possibility that the tours can take away Wimbledon's validity in the ranking system. Uh, you know, I don't know that we need to litigate that right now. We can cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, but I, I do believe that is a possibility. It could happen. You yeah, mean, they could do it for one year. Mm-hmm. They could say nobody gets any points from Wimbledon? Yeah, it's not. It doesn't count for, for our ranking system because Wimbledon did not agree to our rules. And part of because the ATP and WTA says you must allow anyone in the tournament who's eligible based on our rankings. And if you don't hold up that end of the bargain, then then your tournament is invalidated. And and think about it like those players that are not going to be able to play have points to defend, right? And they won't be able to defend those points. So it's almost like they're getting double and or maybe even triple penalized by this. Um, so I'm just, you know, gaming out the, the scenarios and stuff. Um, one might argue that if the ATP and the WTA wanted to act in concert, then they could get together and just as you suggested, Gil, say that this year in 2022, those points are not going to be awarded. You can play your tournament, but nobody's going to get any points from this. Yeah. Um, man, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough to, to think about where to go from here. Uh, I imagine that we are going to, uh, let me take one more angle actually, before we move on. The Ukrainian players have asked that Russian players use their platform to actually speak out against the, the Russian regime, the Russian invasion, Vladimir Putin, et cetera. That, that was signed off by uh, Alina Svitolina, Marta Kostyuk, and um, a couple of others, right? What do we make of, of that part of the situation? Medvedev and, and Rublev are now going to be, and others are now going to be asked about their thoughts on this situation. You know, what can they say and, and what should they say with, with full understanding that, you know, we're all in our living rooms right now, our studios or whatever, and uh, we can't even imagine the position that they're in. They have families. They have families in Russia. I mean, I think it's, I don't think you can ask a Russian or a Belarusian player to make a statement about that. They have a lot of, it's a tricky situation. When I was at the Miami Open, there were three or four British reporters and myself. There were like me and then the three or four uh, guys from from the UK um, questioning Medvedev in a press conference. And the British guys were asking him about this very issue. And he said that Medvedev said, if you really drill down and, and read the transcript very carefully, he basically said that he felt unsafe um, condemning Putin publicly. And he said that it's something that he can discuss with his wife in private, but um, 
you know, saying what he said, I have opinions, quote, but if I, if I say what I really feel, then I do fear for the safety. Um, and that, that's essentially what he was saying. I read those transcripts and I, I agree reading between the lines. I also read it like that. I mean, he didn't say that word for word as you, as you specifically made note of Amy, but, but that really did sound like that. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, I look at it this way. If, if you want to be a hero and speak out against a regime that is suppressing free speech, then much respect to you. But if you want to protect your family, uh, still respect to you. Anyone can understand that the priorities being in that order, in, in my view. This will be a developing story. Won't be the last of it. We approach uh, Wimbledon slowly. Of course, uh, clay court tournaments uh, are the immediate future. And Novak Djokovic continues his run in his home country of Serbia in that Belgrade 250. We will be with you at the conclusion of the tournament. And that'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate if you leave a rating and a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of three.